Hello, and welcome to the Burning Ambulance podcast. I'm Phil Freeman, and in this episode, I'll be talking to electronic music legend Jeff Mills. This is our sixth year and our 70th episode, so I decided it was time to change things up a little. There's more to it than just the addition of the music you're hearing behind my voice, though. This season, we're going to have a single subject we're going to be exploring through all 10 episodes that I'm going to present, and that theme, that subject, is fusion. Now, fusion is a very charged term. When most people hear it in reference to music anyway, they probably think of bands from the 1970s like the Mahavishnu Orchestra, Return to Forever, and Weather Report groups formed by ex-members of Miles Davis's band that combined a certain freedom to improvise with extremely complex compositions that were closer to progressive rock than to jazz. I mean, when you listen to the first two Mahavishnu Orchestra albums, The Inner Mounting Flame and Birds of Fire, side by side with, say, King Crimson's Lark's Tongues in Aspic and Starless and Bible Black, They really, they fit together quite well. I mean, they're even using the same instrumental palette, guitar, violin, keyboards, bass, drums. The only real difference is that King Crimson had a singer. What interests me about fusion, the term and the concept, is that it lives up to something saxophonist Wayne Shorter, one of the co-founders of Weather Report, has said many times that to him, the word jazz means I dare you. I dare you to play as loud as the rock bands. I dare you to embrace funk and multi-part suites and the most advanced studio production techniques available. I dare you to go big, to be ambitious, because that's what the best fusion of the 1970s was and what modern day fusion is. It's ambitious. It doesn't recognize externally imposed limitations, people saying, you can't do that. Why not? Why can't you? It refuses to stay within the boundaries of genre. It's not jazz, it's not rock, because there's no such thing as jazz, and no such thing as rock. One of the things I discovered, or became more aware of, while writing my book Ugly Beauty, Jazz in the 21st Century, which is out this month from Zero Books in the UK, is that jazz is ultimately about artistic intention. There's no one instrument or rhythm or harmonic relationship that defines it. But there are two crucial values, innovation and improvisation. There must be an attempt to do something new or to put a new spin on something old. And there must be an element of uncertainty and a real-time exchange of ideas. Or, in the case of solo performances, there must be an element of real-time thinking and spontaneous creation. Because it's absolutely possible to play something that startles or surprises yourself, and then respond to it. So fusion is about taking ideas from seemingly disparate genres and combining them, and taking the philosophies that govern those seemingly disparate genres and figuring out what they have in common. That's what the 70s artists did, and that's what modern-day fusion acts are doing. And I would include people like Thundercat, Cameron Graves, Christian Scott, and even Casa Overall, who's been on this podcast before, in that category. And so that's what we're going to be talking about all year long on this podcast, through interviews with prominent fusion artists of the past and present. Many people may not think of Jeff Mills as a fusion artist. He's normally thought of as one of the most important musicians in techno history. I'm not going to run down his discography here, that's what Wikipedia is for, but suffice it to say that his influence in the 1990s was massive, but what makes him interesting to me is that he's taken the creative space that his fame has brought him and used it to really expand his own sonic parameters. He's made an album with a full orchestra. He's created new scores for silent films. He's made albums inspired by astronomy, by science fiction, and by his interest in the supernatural. 
and he's collaborated with musicians who are geniuses in their own fields. In 2018, he made an album called Tomorrow Comes the Harvest with legendary Afrobeat drummer Tony Allen. And that project led to the first of the three albums he put out in 2021, the first of the three albums that we discuss in this interview, which is called Counteractive, and it's a collaboration with keyboardist Jean-Fi Derry under the name The Paradox. The second album he released this year was called The Clairvoyant, and it's about two hours long. If you buy it on vinyl, it's three LPs, and he says that the best way to experience it is to lie back in the dark and listen to the whole thing from beginning to end. It arises out of his interest in spiritualism at the beginning of the 20th century, and his perception of the similarities and connections between that era and now. That's another one of the topics we discuss in the interview you're about to hear. And I have to admit, I was surprised by how willing, even eager, uh, Jeff Mills was to discuss social issues. A lot of electronic music is deliberately anonymous, deliberately emotionally blank. It's a canvas on which you can paint your own feelings. But it also reflects broader social conditions, as any art produced by human beings inevitably must. Detroit techno represented the frustration and anger, as well as the hopes and dreams, of the citizens of that city. And Underground Resistance, a collective Mills formed with Mike Banks and Robert Hood, was explicitly political, taking on social conditions in their city and the overall politics of the music industry. The third album Jeff Mills put out in 2021 was The Override Switch, a collaboration with Raphael Lefar, who plays a number of instruments on the record, including tenor, alto, soprano, and baritone saxophones, clarinet, bass clarinet, contra-alto clarinet, flute, cornet, and a wide range of keyboards. And the music that they make together is fusion in the purest and most genuine sense, the rhythmic steadiness of electronic music combined with the melodic and harmonic adventurousness of jazz. The individual pieces, and the album as a whole, take the listener on a real journey, and frankly, on a purely sonic level, I find it very easy to draw lines between this and the music that people like Stanley Clark and George Duke were making in the 1970s. Anyway, uh, I feel extremely lucky to have gotten the chance to talk to Jeff Mills for an hour. He's an incredibly busy guy, so tracking him down was a challenge. And the day we were initially scheduled to talk, he had to run from Paris to London, so we moved it. And then when I did catch him, I thought he was still in Paris, but it turned out he had returned to London, which meant I was calling him an hour later than expected. Still, he was very cool about it, and it was a fascinating conversation that went in some really unexpected directions. I hope you enjoy listening to it. your past so we'll start with the the new stuff you have three albums out this year and each Mm -hmm. one of them is sort of very different from the others uh the first one was counteractive uh which was released Mm -hmm. as the paradox and came out right at the beginning of the year now you met him as part of your earlier collaboration with tony allen right so kind of fill me in on the story behind the paradox record uh, well, uh, it's um, it, it, it yeah you're right it um, it uh, started um, uh, with a project that I had collaborated with with with, with Tony Allen the Afrobeat creator um, and uh, the ex- ex-drummer of, 
of Fimikuti. And, um, and uh, we realized, we, we, once we got together, we quickly realized that we needed to have a, a, third, a third player in the, in the, in the live performance. Um, and, and Tony recommended, uh, 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 Jean Fidari, uh, a keyboardist that he had been working with for about 20, 20 years. So, um, so, um, so, 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 so he was introduced in, into the live performance and, and, um, you know, it was, it was, it's usually the case, you know, we, we, I think we might've rehearsed once, um, and, um, you know, Tony was never really big on rehearsals, so we 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 would not rehearse, but we would once we would set our equipment up um, before the performances, we would te- of course test it, but we would have a little bit of time to play to kind of you know uh, get used to the acoustics and to uh, make sure that everything was working. And, mm-hmm. and in that time, uh, Jean P and I would would kind of create things just you know to kind of. Uh, improvise and be spontaneous as if, you know, uh, we would be in the performance, you know, and what we realized is that we were actually creating compositions that, um, you know, possibly other people should hear, you know, so we, so we would um, always say that we should go into the studio to, to, to lay these, these ideas down because some of them were really good. And, And we would often start off the performance with Tony with that one track, because it was, it was, you know, he would come in and listen to it and say, yeah, that's, that's really nice. And, and, and we would play it. So, so it's really, you know, the paradox is really an extension of that, of those performances with Tony Allen. And, and then, um, uh, and then John and I, we went to the studio and we laid down um, a lot of these ideas basically in real time and just captured them and then, and then made the album the counteractive. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say, you know, you lay things down in real time, I mean, it's not like a jazz record where it was literally just, you know, what happened in the room, you know, tracked. I mean, there's there's additional layers added and post-production and stuff like that, right? Right. Uh, uh, well, in this case, it was pretty much closer to um, a, a almost a real-time capture. I mean, I mean we discussed the directions in which we wanted to go. I mean, I, I had mentioned, um, uh, you know, uh, some um, uh, style like like Keith Jarrett. Uh, maybe maybe uh, John P. could, you know, maybe uh, explore a little bit of, um, of um, you know, more, more abstract jazz. And I would stay more, you know, in, in a certain area and then maybe have some solo parts. But we, but it was mainly just, you know, just discussion. And then once we began to play, we were actually really just working these ideas out. And that was actually the capture of, uh, and, and what mostly, uh, you, you hear in those recordings. And, and there was just maybe just a little bit of post, um, and the layering of some strings and some pianos. But for the most part, that, that was pretty much a, a, a live capture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. really interested in the whole, Tony Allen project because I interviewed him a while ago for Downbeat and it seems to me that there's a tremendous amount of looseness and swing in his rhythms both with Fela and then with his jazz group who I saw live in 2017 or so. So how do you how do you map that kind of a super organic four limbs groove to the precision of digital electronic music because if you snap Tony Allen to a Pro Tools grid, he's no longer Tony Allen, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, that was the that was the um, I, I believe that that was the uh, convincing and the deciding factor of whether he you know we could work together. You know because he explained that uh, he had worked with many other electronic uh, musicians, but the problem was that they would always. Um, use a computer or they would have to use some software where he would have to play to that. He would have to, you know, that that pretty much dictated the tempo. It dictated, um, you know, uh, he would always have to apply what he was doing to that. But in this, but in this case, it was much different. I was playing, I, I, I found a way to play the drum machine the same way he would play drum kit. So I could be as spontaneous as, as, as any any live musician um and 
at, at times. But then at other times, I also have the ability to be able to lay the background for Tony to be able to, you know, to, you know, to solo, to, to you know, to do his thing. Um, so we had we had a lot of options uh, and we explored all of them, you know, and I think he I think he really enjoyed, uh, you know, being able to be free uh, and and still have the sound of synthesizers and uh, and, uh, uh, you know, drum machines and, and things like that. So it was it was a bit different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there always there is plenty of room for improvisation with electronic instruments. Obviously, I mean, if you go back to like, you know, early Tangerine Dream, it's very, you know, they're just making it all mm -hmm. up on the spot. You know, there's not a there's no there's that whole pre sequencer era of their work where it's just you know organs and synths. You know, right, so. right, right. Yeah, but but this is a little bit different because I'm actually playing the sequence. Mm -hmm. so, I, so, so I'm playing the sequence like I. I suppose the closest thing would be to if if you're um, performing with a hip hop DJ, and what he's doing is that he's using music that's already already created, but he's manipulating it to the point almost back into an instrument again, and so and so that's what I'm doing with a drum machine, and and so. So it is a sequence, but I'm I'm playing the actual sequence um, uh, like a like a like an instrument. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the difference. So like okay. playing it on on pads, almost like on a like a native instruments machine type of a setup, where you hit a button for the kick and I hit a button for the snare, or is that is that what you mean? No, no, no. I'm I'm simply using the stop and the start button to play it as if you hit a key on a on a on a piano ah. it's it's the same it's the same process okay. and and i and i can you know become e even more intricate because i know what the you know what the next few beats are going to be whether it's going to be a tom tom or or, or a hi-hat or a snare so i can manipulate all that that in a certain sequence so that it's never really the same you know so it's it's um it's uh, I, you know, I had to create something in order to be able to uh, play with Tony, mm -hmm. and 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 uh, you know, once I knew that uh, our our you know this meeting that we were to have for the first time was set, I I, I realized that you know, um, if if something's going to happen, I'm, I'm going to have to change the way that I. Uh, approach electronic music i have to play it the same way he's playing a drum kit and i have to be I have to find a way to be flexible to change the tempo to change the pattern to 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 manipulate it in a way almost as if i am also you know playing a drum kit as well so um so it it, it uh and and uh you know over time i just found more intricate ways and more very very complex ways to to get closer to what a drummer would do, how he would drum roll, how he would solo, how he would break it down. So because there's a soloist, how he would, you know, uh, I mean, I used to be a drummer in my youth, so I so I know what it feels like. So um, and so yeah, that that's that's uh, how it happened. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting because when I have played around with you know programming rhythms and things like that I always seem to find myself thinking about thinking about it in terms of problems to be overcome like they're you know like I'm trying to figure out how to make the machine do something that I don't mm. feel like it wants to do and I'm curious since you've experienced it from both sides as a drummer and as a you know a beat programmer and all this sort of thing Mm -hmm. what you feel the advantages are of the electronic rhythms, you know, like what have you discovered that they can do that a kit can't do, you know, and vice and stuff like that, because there must yeah, be I mean, an first, upside, you know? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, first you have to take away the MIDI chord. You, 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 you have to go unsynced. Um, that's really the only, and you have to end to be able to sync with other things. You have to use your natural, pulse and your and 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 your natural temple and 
and so that's the start. And then, and so, um, so you're actually, you know, you, you, in order to be able to get these machines to talk to one another, you have to think kind of like a DJ. You have to find a way to match these uh, scales and, and things up, you know, so that they can talk to one another. And by doing that, you discover many different things of what's possible. And then, in other words, um, you know, uh, in order to be able to make two machines speak together um, and feel like they're both working on a 4-4 type of pattern, doesn't necessarily mean that both machines need to be on a 4-4 type of sequence. And so you, 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 you discover things kind of by mistakes, by, by making mistakes. And then when you turn back into composing music, you, you have a much larger uh, array and a much, much larger tool, tool set of what you can do to be able to, 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 to you, know, you, know, you know, how to use these machines. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I, so again, I think the, the first thing to do is, uh, is unplug all the sync, unplug all the, all the MIDI, put aside all the MIDI chords, take away the CV triggers, take away all those things and begin to look at what the machines can do by themselves. And, and then, uh, you know, try to find your natural way to sync them together. And, 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 you know, sometimes it's not about sync, you know, sometimes it's just, it's about strange harmonies that, and strange relationships that, that they can have, uh, where the listener will eventually piece them together themselves in their, in their mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so you really, uh, have to, uh, kind of think, think, think outside the box, uh, in this, in this manner, in this way. Now, the next record that you put out this year, which I think came out in February, was uh, Clairvoyant, which is a triple LP set. The music there is is pretty is somewhat dark. It's kind of spiritual and ambient, and the keyboards had a kind of orchestral quality when I was listening to it. So, did that album come to you all at once? Like you thought, I'm going to do an extended work, and this is going to be the sound. This is going to be the theme. Or did it kind of? Did you kind of have individual tracks come together, and then you were like, you know what? All these kind of sound like of a piece. So let's make them into a thing. Yeah, yeah. I had the I had the concept to make this album the clairvoyant. Um, uh, well, first it was called the first it was called the eyewitness, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 I had begun to com- to to create and compile the tracks, um, and then when the pandemic hit, um, I began to think about uh, like everyone else, you know, just. Uh, you know, um, some type of way in order to be able to kind of rationalize what, what's going on. I mean, you know, 600,000 deaths within just, a, you know, a matter of a year and, and people losing loved ones. And, and, and uh, it reminded me of some research that I did um, many years back about um, uh, a, um, uh, a film that I rescored uh, called October by Sergi Eisenstein, um, 19, 1918, mm-hmm. um, um, about the Russian Revolution, and uh, and and um, and in my research about scoring that film, I uh, also noticed that because you know so many people were were um, so traumatized and and um, and so. Um, in shock about the amount of deaths during World War One, that that many people had lost loved ones, 
and and never got a chance to say goodbye. Never, not you know, never got a chance to to connect with them because they were on the front fighting. Um, and then the pandemic, Spanish flu came, and and then uh, in the in early uh, 1920s, and that also was a very dismal point. And people were very much hoping and and you know searching for some type of way to put for closure, you know. And I recognized these types of similarities of what was happening with this pandemic, with this COVID pan, you know, pandemic, mm-hmm. and began to re- and began to research more about um, what people were doing as some type of escape in 19, in the, in, in, in 19, 19, uh, 19, 1920, 1921. And what was popular at that time was actually seances. Here in Paris, um, people were regularly having seances um, with a clairvoyant to try to reach or speak to their loved ones that they had lost um, and to try to have some type of closure or, or some type of connection. And it was quite popular at that time. And so I, I thought that maybe to create an album um, that feels and works like a seance might speak to the situation and and perhaps maybe it might connect with some some people that are really experiencing really difficult moments right now you know at, at you know at that time yeah so I changed it to the so I so I, so I did some more research and and um, you know looked at exactly what what a seance you know was really all about and and how and 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 what the technique was and what uh, clairvoyance would do and how the room would be set up and and how people uh, would uh, prepare themselves, and and um, and the album was basically formatted like a séance, and um, and the music was very much reflected uh, about this anticipation of someone about to come in contact spiritually with someone, um, and then uh, the album. Uh, takes this takes a listener or the person over to the other side, and you begin to, and at that point in the album, the album, the music sounds very different. It becomes um, other otherworldly. Is, is what I was trying to create yeah. another dimension, another time and space, and and um, and then you 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 come out of these three phases of of being on the other side, and you and you. It it, it 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 kind of um, you know kind of the, the album kind of transitions into more of a resol a, a point of resol point of resolution you know mm-hmm. um, and um, and so um, so so basically yeah with that album what I was trying to offer was the experience of a seance and um, and to use the music uh, to, in a way, uh, through some type of transformative type of process, uh, make people or give them the feeling as if something magical has happened and something, something, um, uh, uh, an occurrence uh, has has just happened, and um, and, and 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 something magical. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I I, I, I tried to give as much uh, information as I could before the release. So I was recommending that when you listen to the album, you should you should be alone. You should lay down. You should be off your feet and lay down when you listen to it in a in, in a dark space. Mm-hmm. And, and you should listen to it from the beginning all the way until the end, so that so that you can experience the whole thing in that in that type of process. That that's really the way when I made the album and I was proofing the album. That's how I would listen to it to make sure that it was effective enough. So once so once I made it, I would go into a room and I would lay down and I would listen to it from the beginning to the end. And then if it wasn't right, I would go back and you know fine-tune some parts or change some things around 
until I arrived at the point that I felt that something something special had happened. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very interesting so. what you're saying about, you know, researching the beginning of the 20th century stuff because that kind of cyclical trauma, you know, generational trauma cycles thing is something that I've been thinking about recently as well because I was reading uh, this book called Teenage by John Savage and it's about how the idea of youth culture was emerged in society beginning in like the late 1800s and going up to say the 1940s and mm. there was a very big sort of societal turning point at the end of World War One because there were these kids you know some of them were coming back from World War One and they were only 19 or 20 years old you know yeah and they were yeah. just completely traumatized by the experience of the war and basically no longer fit for society as it had existed before that you know mm. it's very much like mm. the it's very much the experience of returning war veterans ever since you know but in world war 1 it really took on a different shape and really screwed with an entire generation's brains you know and so i'm very right. fascinated by the way this generation is going to be, you know, people who are 19 and 20 now are going to be impacted by pandemic life and by, you know, ec the economic sure. changes of the last few years and things like that. It's very, it's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, if you, it, it is. And I, and I think that if you, if you look back through the 1920s and how it progressed and what was happening in terms of uh, culture, you know, I mean, that was, that was really the time where artists, really began to, you know, were, you know, um, you know, Picasso and many other artists were really beginning to rethink uh, art and rethink uh, what they were doing, you know, and, and surrealism and Dada and, and many other forms, you know, kind of popped up in that era. Uh, and, and or if, if they were being thought about, they really manifested themselves in the 1920s. And so, um, uh, I would ex I would expect that pretty much the same thing should happen uh, in the in the in the next decade to come. I think that there you know the consequences of this pandemic and how young people literally are missing two and three years out of their lives. You know, will have an impact. Um, you know, it's not. You know, a, a young person today isn't quite the same as a young person in the 1990s. You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that 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 uh, you know, you know, it it you know the similarities are 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 um, shockingly you know the same. I mean, I mean, I, you know, in my re research back then, I, I noticed many other things about the. Uh, you know what people were doing. I mean, the suicide rate was astronomical at that time. You know, um, as as it is, you know, worrying now. You know, mm -hmm. uh, where young people, uh, because of just and 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 so many people because of the industrial age, uh, were being displaced from their from their jobs. You know, and people we're losing the sense of, of, of worth and, and, and what the, you know, the same thing is pretty much ha is happening now, you know, I mean, computers r really will find a way to do away with a lot of the things that people used to do manually. And, you know, and, and this will progress more and more. The, the industrial age lasted for about 50 years. So all the way down to like 1950, I, I, I think that, in this century, it will be slightly less, but it, it'll it, it'll be. I, I think it'll be around maybe twenty forty or so, mm -hmm. um, when the computer age will kind of come to an end, and the next form uh, will 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 come. Uh, and so, I so I think the first half of this century will be definitely the part that will dictate what will happen in the second half that's for sure i don't yeah. know if it's because of turbulence of 
of uh, you know, you know we will be in a very turbulent time. This I'm not sure of, but I do know that that um, there are very strong signs that uh, stability is something that maybe we can no longer take granted for now anymore, and that um, you know to be able to live a stable and happy life might require more. Um, uh, you know, balance and, and more and more practice than ever before, possibly. You mm-hmm. know, and to keep a family, you know, to keep a family together and to keep to keep people, you know, uh, might require a bit more work than ever before. You know, um, yeah. so, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I I just I just thought you know the Clairvoyant was one of those albums that I think. Um, you know, arises when there are red flags in in our society, and it's it's the result of of seeing something and up, up, you know applying a concept or an idea to it in in hopes that people might be able to use it at some point. Um, so mm-hmm. so it it wasn't so in my mind it wasn't an album that was really made for this moment, but it was an album that was made for a particular reason. And I'm sure that these reasons will un- unfortunately, c- you know, come and go, you know, over time. <laughs> yeah. So the, the other thing is, and this is another parallel is, you know, we talk about like surrealism and Dada, and there's a very strong element of rejection and nihilism to those artistic movements, you know, and which arises yeah. again out of World War II. And I feel like that is something yeah. that is again rising now, like in terms of people expressing <laughs> lack of faith in the capitalist system, yeah. lack of faith in the traditional career model and stuff like that. So yeah. from your perspective yeah. as a DJ who performs in, you know, who plays music for people in dance clubs, like, the electronic music scene often had for years in the 90s and the 2000s had this gave off this impression of celebratory hedonism and i feel like now we're in a headspace more of like nihilistic hedonism you know of there's an undercurrent of anger in a lot of yeah. society and in a lot of youth culture so from your perspective as a dance music person like what is how is that reflected in clubs and stuff like that uh it is it, i i can definitely at this point at this time and day i can definitely say that it is present in electronic music um and um you know it's a it's a genre that had and it's a style of music that had always been um kept up out of the way from politics and up and, and away from, you know, the problems of the world. It was always considered um, a form of escapism that was protected by um, uh, just avoiding things in life, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that a techno party was a place to go to forget. It was a, you know, the music that, a DJ played was the type of music that really didn't say anything. You know, it was, it, 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 uh, it, you know, there was no, there was no real message in, and really in electronic music, really. I mean, nothing that you really needed to prescribe to, nothing that you really needed to notice. Um, and it had been that way for a long time, but now I think, I think that, um, electronic music and artists, like myself are having to have to choose whether to continue in that way of trying to avoid the world or perhaps maybe rethink and reshape electronic music to, to try to play more of a role and to try to uh, address some of the issues that are, that, that people are going, going through. And so um, at this very moment, uh, you know, um, you know, you can, in, in regards to me, uh, you know, there is a big debate about um, how electronic music should be used. Should it, should it be used for political reasons or, or should it be used um, uh, as an art form that 
it should be considered above politics, you know, something mm-hmm. that brings people together no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Um, so this debate is act- actively working itself out right now. Um, but it, I, I, I've always, you know, I mean, I've always felt that, that um, because there's so much freedom in electronic music, like a producer can literally sit in the studio and create anything that he wants and release it, press it up, you know, let people hear it without any regulation or any type of, um, uh, you know, um, marginalization of it at all. You, you can just do whatever you want. That that allows for... Uh, and a, a large, vast array of platforms that people can use to be able to translate their idea. And because of that, it was inevitable that it's going to become more political. It, it, it's just no way that you can avoid, with this much freedom, there's no way that you can avoid music, this type of music becoming, um, uh, you know, uh, not connected to things that are happening around us. So I believe it was just a matter of time. And so, um, and so, you know, uh, looking at the things that we've learned from electronic music and and trying to imagine what electronic music could be in the next 10 to 20, 30, 40, 50 more years, the idea that without words, without images, without just, just hearing sound, you can, you can feel the message of what the producer was trying to say is, you know, is, 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 a, is a very powerful tool that you can use, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just, just, uh, just, just by um, the way that certain things are produced and certain sound, the way certain sounds are used, you can insinuate or, or propose an idea that, you know, there doesn't need to be a long, a long deep discussion about it, but you get the feeling as if someone wants you to be able to think beyond what's going on right now, what's happening. Sure, sure, because there are certain frequencies and chords and things like that that have almost subliminal resonances for people raised in, I mean, for example, like, you know, if you're raised in Western culture, there are certain chords that are going to hit and you're going to be like, oh, that's the church chord, you know, or that's the whatever, you know, and it's going to hit you in a certain way, like that's the jazz chord, you know. And so when you hear those things, there are subliminal messages that don't need to be conveyed through lyrics. Yes, right. And in electronic music, you know, we, we have, because we use frequencies just like, you know, we use notes, you know. So, so, so frequencies are just as balanced. So, so we've, we've learned how to manipulate these sounds to, to speak um, uh, to, you know, to one another. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it's really prevalent in the style of when you hear music that sounds very um, space uh, science, space science influenced, you know, uh, you can really hear uh, the dialogue that people are saying, you know, with, with um, you know, making the machines sound like machines that are actually speaking, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so... Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's uh, yeah I mean for the few things that we've just been speaking about, you can you can pretty much imagine that the next few years, next few decades ahead should be quite wild, um, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and I you know I, I can I can I can pretty much I can pretty much sense I mean my 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 DJ sense can tell me that we're we're headed for some really colorful times that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you I I've yeah. noticed that you have a strong interest in not only science fiction but sort of space and the cosmos generally and I'm wondering do you have much do you follow 
much music that abandons rhythm entirely and moves into that kind of tangerine dream klaus schultz space of like pure yeah. synth waves is that an interest to you yeah yeah yes of course i mean i i think it's it's all connected you know it's um uh yeah i mean i i i uh i mean i mean it, it and it gets to that you know klaus schultz and you know tangerine dream point that it then goes back to a natural um sound again it goes back to acoustics again you know mm-hmm. um it can go so far that you that you actually end up going back to the beginning again you know and so um and it, and 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 from what i you know from what i i I see from what I imagine and what I envision, it's all, it's all, it's, it's really all connected. There's really, there's very little difference between um, that, that era and the era of the eighties and rave culture, uh, the nineties and this era now, there's it, it's very little uh, difference between I see in terms of a certain musician using music in order to be able to, Prescribe it in a way that it takes people other places. That 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 prescription stays the same. Um, and um, the knowledge that certain sounds with certain tempos and certain um, ways that certain chord structures are are placed, um, and the succession of certain notes and the space in between the notes and the silence in between those 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 spaces, all, all those things, um, are are suggesting um, basically the same thing, and so um, so I, I I understand that. I'm an electronic music musician, but I understand uh, the same thing in jazz and the same thing in, in classical and the same thing in uh, you know world music and other types of abstract type of things. So I, I I understand that language. And that kind of leads me to the third record that you put out this year, the one that just came out, which is the Override Switch, uh, which is a collaboration with saxophonist Raphael Lefar, which has more of a jazz meets electronic music feel to it. And I mean, I know that, you know, that's something that you've been interested in for a while. Like, I feel like a lot of your peers in the Detroit technos, you know, scene, there's, there's a lot more jazz and fusion to that music than there is, you know, to other techno mm-hmm. scenes like New York or Berlin or whatever. But right. what was the genesis of this project specifically? Well, I mean, I mean, the project uh, was, you know, it was very much affected by and um, a product of of this of this pandemic, you know, um, and. Um, and uh, well, I mean, I met Raphael Lafar through um, through uh, one of my close friends, Mike Mike Banks of Underground Resistance. Uh-huh. Um, I I mean, even even before the, the the pandemic, we were Mike and I were talking about trying to find ways to work together, you know, to 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 to, to do things and to explore. You know, we, we're we're constantly talking about music anyway um for decades you know uh-huh. um and um and i and i told him that i, I you know I, I just finished this this album i think i'd sent him this album called uh, think think again it was a mills art album and i and i had sent it to him um just just you know for his for his opinion and, and there were a couple of tracks on it that i wanted him to pay attention to um and uh and i told him i asked him if he if he knew of a of a musician up there that 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 maybe want to play on on um, a few of those tracks on this album, that maybe I can go back and then rethink it. 
And um, and he, so he got back and he said that, yeah, yeah that there was a, a gentleman that was staying at his building, um, uh, a, uh, a horn player that was just incredible and that he had listened to it and that he would like to try to play on, on a few of the tracks. And and so so that, that was Raphael. He did. He sent me the tracks. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was. I was really, really, really impressed, and uh, thought that he took the tracks to a completely different level. So then I, I directly contacted Raphael, and we started to, to talk about the idea of, of uh, making more tracks, and um, and we kind of worked out a way. I mean, he was in Detroit, and I was in Miami during the pandemic when everything was shut down. But um, I, I had come up with an idea of how we could possibly make tracks by sending them digitally back and forth, um, you know, add music to it and sending them digitally back and forth until we're, we're kind of satisfied. And, and, um, and that we, we both had studios where we were actually able to do the production and the overdubbing. And then I would mix them down in my studio. Um, and we, we did this over of a course of about three weeks. It, it took just about three weeks to make the entire album. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, had, we, had never, we had never met each other, um, and we only talked to each other all, you know, over the phone just a couple of times. But for the most part, we were just shuffling back the music back and forth. And um, and once we finished one track, we would move to the next. And then and then we and then I, I, I began to think about what we were doing. I mean, this this, this process of being able to overcome. Um, the te- the technology aspect of it that we were actually making an album, um, and pro- and and uh, you know producing it, um, which would have taken months uh, to do if we were physically together, you know. If um, and um, but somehow we found a way to be able to get around all that. And it kind of showed us that, you know, if there's a will to actually do it, then, you know, we will find a way. And, and so there comes the title, you know, the override switch. And, and then we begin to think about how that could be applied to other things, not just in music, but just in life in general, you know. Perhaps maybe the things that are going on in America with social unrest and how, you know, um, things occur and and there's shock and disbelief and and then and then unfortunately sometimes chaos and mm-hmm. and, and 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 that and that perhaps maybe other ways of dealing with these these crises could could be thought about could be that maybe instantly thinking about how things could be solved what are the what are the what are the ways that we can not only address this, but then make sure that it never happens again. These are the things that maybe these, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the things that maybe we can begin to condition ourselves to focus on to react quickly, quicker, and to and 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 to try to narrow down uh, and stay focused on 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 the, the real elements of what the problems are. You know, mm-hmm. um, if 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 voting out people in our society that really do nothing but just harm to every, you know, to our, you know, <laughs> if if voting them out of and and firing these people and getting rid of these folks uh, is what would solve the problem, then that's what we that's exactly what we need to do. We need to create these type of agendas to replace these people as quickly as possible. Because the the harm that they do uh, is much greater than probably what we see, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, what 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 young people are looking at and what they're looking and studying and seeing how grownups act, you know, during mask mandates and how they react to this, you know, um, they're learning from all this, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're 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 taking all this disruptive chaos in and 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 they will they will apply these you know unfortunately these same 
reactions, you know, because this is this is what they're being taught. This is what they're being shown by their by their by their elders. Yeah, that's the thing that I think is so interesting is there are all these I've been reading a lot of articles recently about how people don't want to go back to working in offices. People don't want to, you know, people are used to working from home and their productivity hasn't gone down at all, you know, and stuff like that. And you know, the the mass media coverage of this when you read an article in let's say the New York Times about the issues relating to going back to work in an office versus staying home, they never interview any workers. They always interview the owner of the company and like some management consultant. And those people are always like, no, everybody needs to come back. And they never, you know, it's like the workers, they're watching you. They see what you yeah. say, <laughs> you know, yeah. they can hear right. you. And they, and yeah. no wonder people are quitting their jobs and saying, I'm gonna figure out a better way. It goes yeah. back to that exact same rejectionism and nihilism that we were just talking about, about, you know, the 20s. Like, people are looking and going, it's not working. It's I know not it's working. not working, so why should I go back to what's not working, you know? Right. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I mean, I mean, that and in the back of your mind, life can be short. Exactly. So, exactly. You know, I don't, people don't have the time, you know, they don't want to spend the time doing something that will not, benefit them you know over time i mean how do how do young people grow to be you know responsible you know result you know you know adults if you know they're not being shown <laughs> you know the right way to do that yeah right? i mean yeah. you got you got you know it's just you know it, I, I, I think that there's there you know there is a point where uh, you know there's no turning back from that. You can't just come back and say I'm sorry. You know, I right. mean it's it, it's much deeper. It's not like it's not. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I mean you know you know we hey people you know we shape the future. It's just like a hundred years ago. You know, you know people. People shape, people shape the future. I mean, um, their, you know, their, their actions. I mean, right now, smash and grabs are, are the rage. Mm -hmm. You know, there are consequences to that. You know, um, you know. I mean, uh, and 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 there's also the effect of feeling unsafe and unsecure overall, mm -hmm. right? Even though you see that happening across the country, and you and and you're and of course this is not happening in your community, but actually it's not you know it it's you know you're not um uh, you know you're not uh, protected from that. I mean it, it can happen. I mean it you know you're 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 connected to that in a way. You 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 become. I mean a shooting may happen. Uh, in Texas or something, and, and you're in New Jersey, but, 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 you know, you know the shock of that, uh, you you digest that, mm -hmm. you know, it becomes, it becomes part of what you know, part of what you have seen, part of what you know is happening on the other side of the country, and and in a way, it becomes part of your, it becomes part of you, you know, this is the society that you live in. And these are the things that people in your society are doing, even though they're thousands of miles away, it's happening in your society. So after a while, you know, you, you have to imagine that people need to find a way to be able to, to let this anger, let this fear out, you know, and that even though things never happen to you, no one, no one stole your packages off your porch, but but you know that it can happen. And I think that, you know, this is, these are the things that shake people really to the core. I mean, you don't, you don't see it, but I mean, deep down, we're all, all Americans are shell shocked to a certain extent mm -hmm. because, because we, we, you know, this is our society. It's happening in our society, whether it doesn't matter what color or, or how rich you are or where you live or, you know how protected you are 
it's still our society. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, you can imagine, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, these young kids, when they, as they get older, as they become faced with things in their lives, we're going to begin to see how they're going to react to, to them, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised that we see the same type of reaction, you know, January 6th that we see <laughs> some other ways, you know, I mean, teacher, teacher, teacher's parent conference, you, you, you see people fighting there because you've seen them fighting on the state cap on the, on the Capitol grounds. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all connected, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, and, and, and what makes matters worse, guns and the, all the violence you see on in entertainment. So, you know, there's no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spiraling cycle of, of um of things that are happening that uh, are you know it's 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 all barreling towards something i can tell you that yeah and yeah. you know music music is you know music is not it's all part of it you know it's not not uh it's all connected and so um if artists like myself can 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 Stay focused and and maintain um, a certain distance from it in order to be able to respond to it, like the Clairvoyant album, like the Override Switch. Um, if 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 I can still maintain my freedom to be able to address these things, then you know music might become more useful and more helpful, like it did, say, in the 60s during the Flower Power movement, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, if, we, if, we can, if we can stay um, focused on the idea that, that music can rise above all the problems, it, it may not solve the problems, but it can, it can rise above the problems um, and be something that people can reach for, to, to pull themselves up out of, you know, some of the problems that they have, uh, it, it may not solve the problem, but at least could be, it could be a, a temporary uh, reprieve from, you know, what, what, what's going on. If it can... Right, if, if because it, if, that's, the, that's the thing is there is the argument that carving out a space in your life for small acts of pleasure and joy is in itself a political act in a way you know i mean there's that famous quote from uh from emma goldman the anarchists you know and it may be apocryphal i'm not sure but she she's always quoted as saying if i can't dance i don't want to be part of your revolution right <laughs> right. right right and that's and that's i think that's um those are yeah those are those are definitely worth to remember you know um yeah, I, I, I just, I just, uh, I think that, I mean, I, I, I can, I can say, I think that for the past thirty years, electronic music, um, it, it took, it, it, I would say that it took about thirty years for us to really get to know ourselves and what we can do in the genre. But I think for the next next thirty years, I think will be the most telling and the most um, uh, revealing if. It was if the if, if if it was really worth it all. I think that I think um, the past thirty years was practice and um, practice for what 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 is about to come. I believe. And um, if it's if it's a genre like all the other ones where you know it was really meant to help people, I think we'll know this in the next 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 couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And if it was, and, it, and if it, and if it's strong enough, and if it's meaningful enough to to a lot of people, and it has it's a, a lasting power like jazz and classical, uh, and uh, you know some other forms. I'm not so sure about rock, but okay. <laughs> um, but if 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 if, it, if, it, if, it, if it's meaningful to other people, we will keep it. Um, if it's not, it will die away, and uh, and. Uh, 
So I, you know, I, I think this, this will happen in the next few decades, 10 to 20 years, I think. 